it's time for some podcast reviews. This review is from Aquins. Truly inspiring and uplifting women's podcast. Listening to each episode makes you feel empowered. Thank you for empowering women. Thank you so much, Aquins. Today's guest was living every little girl's dream. She was the editor of the massive magazine enterprise, Cosmopolitan Australia. Cosmopolitan! I mean, the only thing more impressive would be if she was to host the most watched show in Australian history. Oh no, wait, she did that too with MasterChef. But life took a 180 when she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. She couldn't walk or work for over a year. Her hair was falling out, her nails were falling off. She was diagnosed with early menopause while still in her 30s. She lost her money, lost friends, and almost overnight, everything she had worked so hard for vanished. And since COVID-19, this description of losing everything in an instant is sadly only too familiar. Yes, she was a passenger on her own cruise line with no say in which way the captain was steering her ship. And she could see she was on a one-way collision course towards a giant iceberg. So after multiple suicide attempts and constant anxiety episodes, she realized she had a choice. Does she go down with a sinking ship of crippling anxiety? Or does she take a deep breath and a run and jump off that boat and get to the damn shore of freedom? Now a New York Times best-selling author of the I Quit Sugar and First We Make the Beast Beautiful, she dives deep into mental issues, breaking down how diet, lifestyle choices and mindset can impact every single aspect of our lives. Selling in over 131 countries and helping millions of people, she was ranked as one of the top 200 most influential authors in the world. But guys, remember, none of that would have happened if she didn't first jump. Like life, the waters may be cold, choppy, unpredictable, uncertain. It's unknown territory, but she was willing to face each anxiety wave as they came, learning lessons all along the way. And so today, she is throwing us a life vest by sharing exactly what those breaststrokes of healing look like. And so if we are willing to listen, practice and learn, you too can get to the sandy white shores of your life. So guys, please help me in welcoming the captain of today's Women of Impact cruise line, the international pioneer, Sarah Wilson. My goodness, that is the best, most flattering, most metaphorful introduction I've ever heard. Thank you. Oh, of course, girl. I mean, seriously, um, me and you, our stories are very similar, which is why just everything you were saying and that I've read and interviews resonated with me so much. Um, and so actually where I want to start from is I heard you um, refer to the COVID as like a scab lifting off a wound. Um, explain to me what you mean by that and why it's so important that we understand this first step before we go deeper into explaining anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I think that this this pandemic has been a massive revealer of what we've been either sort of burying under a rug, if you don't like the scab metaphor, but we've been sort of, there's a wound. There's a wound in our culture, in our society, in our psyches, at a, both a collective and an individual level. And what's happened, I think this pandemic, and I think throughout history, these kinds of viruses, these mass global events, lift up the cover and reveal to us what was always there and that we've been covering up. But we're having to take walks down that hall of mirrors 
you know, almost daily. And there's nothing like the small capsule of the four walls of your home to get you very real about the stuff that you've been ignoring. So bad relationships, you know, are really suffering. Um, children who have been perhaps either neglected in some way or have been um, sort of delegated out to other other people to look after them. Um, children that are feeling like their nervous systems are rattled from from a life of busyness. Um, also, you know, deeply personal stuff, things that you haven't worked through that you've been covering up. And yeah, I think COVID in many ways it's a it's a really difficult time. And I'm I don't know about you, Lisa, but I get really uncomfortable when people go, oh, it's a great equaliser. And, you know, I think Madonna came out and said that. Or, you know, we're all in it together. Isn't it great? You know, um, I get very wary of that. But at the same time, I do think that for a lot of us, um, it is actually a really great opportunity to have a good hard look at what's under that scab. And we should be doing it because it's a, it's an opportunity. And I think if we're privileged enough to be at home and safe and well, that's precisely what we should be doing for ourselves, our families, but more importantly, for our society, our social fabric. Yeah, I love that. Um, and th the thing that I always come back to with things like this is there's such a big gap between knowing and then doing, right? So it's like everything you said makes so much sense. But in that moment, when someone's like watching this or listening to this, it's like it doesn't feel real because the anxiety or the depression or the mental issues that they're going through just overwhelms them. So how do you get to that point where you're like, oh, this can be something great? Yeah, look, that's a really great question because what often happens at um, a biological level when we're in when we face fear is that we, our brains, like the most primitive part of our brains, control our fear mechanism for obvious reasons. So we generally go into flight or fight. And we're very familiar with those mechanisms, um, but there's a third one, and it's the freeze mechanism, and that's what happens when we can't fight or flee, which is what we're in in isolation you know, when we're shut down. So what we often do is we freeze, which is essentially emotional overwhelm. So we, um, our fear gets so much that there's sort of a part of our prefrontal cortex that just goes boom. And it's to protect us from having too much emotion. So for instance, a, a really good example of this that's used by psychologists is where a tiger is chasing a deer and the deer can't fight the tiger and gets to a point where it can't outrun it. So it collapses in a heap and pretends it's dead. Heart rate stops, breathing stops, it's dead for all intents and purposes. The tiger then gets a little bit chilled, maybe goes back and get its, gets its carbs, says, come on, you know, let's go and sit down for lunch. And in that time, the deer has the opportunity to come back alive, jerk back into gear and bolt for its life. And it's it's kind of final mechanism for coming back alive. And we have a similar mechanism and we all know that we can often freeze in the overwhelm and fear gets too much. And it's a good response to just getting us to recollect our thoughts, you know, and to regroup, maybe rest for a little bit. The really important thing is that we need to shake it out of our system pretty much physically like a deer to be able to activate that fear into action. And it's a really good way of thinking about things at the biological level. And, and this is what I do in my book, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, is I use science and an understanding of these mechanisms, which are really kind of primitive base, original mechanisms in our brain to keep us alive, to explain what's going on for us so that we can then take a little bit of control and actually use it in our lives. So 
In terms of the overwhelm that a lot of people are feeling, I think, first of all, it's really important to understand that that's actually a biological reaction that makes a lot of sense when you can't fight something. Secondly, it's really um, important to acknowledge that, you know, this shit is real. Like, this is genuine fear. This is genuine scary times and we've got a right and a, and a, and a really relevant um, case for being scared. So first of all, acknowledge those things. Once we can acknowledge a feeling, we can then process it into that action, right, because we can watch it and we can actually choose to shake it off. Now, there's some really simple techniques which sound kind of ridiculous, but you realise that this is why you do these things in normal everyday life. Run it off. So if you can do a, a hip class in your lounge room when you've when you've got you know emotional overwhelm, do it like sweat it out. It's the equivalent of bold, you know, from the tiger. It will actually tell your brain right time to process this fear and this overwhelm. Dance, you know, like Taylor Swift, shake it off, like literally. Dance with the kids in the lounge room, and if your kids are feeling overwhelmed, this is a really other. This is a really good technique as well. What I will say though, what's important is to actually label what's going on for you first. So if you can talk about it, name the emotion, and then shake it off, you then start to be in a position where you can use your fear and turn it into action, and start to be engaged in some of the incredible movements happening online for taking part in stuff, whether addressing the climate debate once again because we've got time to do that now whether it's joining some community groups that you haven't thought of before that bring you closer um, and that kind of fabric knitting is a great way to deal with overwhelm as well dude i love that so much like it, i go back to what serves you right like personally and then act in accordance so to me it's like the being fearful, not trying things, thinking of this as doomsday doesn't serve me, right? It just puts me deeper into feeling like that. But when I go, oh, how can this be the most amazing thing? It's like just that shift in a mindset changes how you then show up. What do you do when, even when you know it though, right? Like you, all you want to do is eat ice cream because you're slipping deeper and deeper and potentially into depression, right? And you're like, but ice cream makes me feel better. And so immediately it's the short-term versus long-term goals, right? Um, but in that moment a lot of people right now are kind of like putting their life on pause eating the ice cream going to something that's going to numb them out during this period so even though they want to move even though they want to do all that their instincts aren't to do that what did you do in those times where it's like you know you're, you're sick you're going through all these issues but you had to make decisions that were best for you in the long term so a couple of things, and in no particular order, because some are suitable for different stages of panic and numbness and despair. Um, so one of them is I have this little phrase called let's run the experiment. And I'll go, what if I just kind of for this day I think of a thing, I, I do nothing. I achieve absolutely nothing. That's my aim. Let's see what happens at the end of the day, you know? And so it creates a playfulness, a gamificationness, which kind of makes it feel, creates a meta purpose. And it's interesting because invariably, somehow you get through the day and life's not as bad as you thought and something surprising happens in that playfulness. So that's one thing I do. Do you Another also thing, think that what happens with that type of language is you're allowing yourself to fail, do a bad job and not put yourself pressure on yourself yeah so you know this is another technique that you just reminded me of quite often I talk to myself like I would either an eight-year-old child 
or my best friend. So if that kind of language is the kind of language you'd use for someone you would care about where you're kind of racking your brain for a technique that might be useful for them. So, yeah, I actually agree. It's a conversation that kind of takes you out of the pain briefly. So that's one thing um, that I definitely do. Another really good technique, again, going back to the biology of anxiety, is that a panic attack, if this is what you're experiencing, um, generally lasts between 15 and 25 minutes. So when you know that, you kind of go, all right, I think I can get through that. I think I can do this, you know. Um, and so it actually um, stops you from going to what is um, the worst part of anxiety, which is the anxiety of being anxious. So being anxious about being anxious. And then you get anxious about being anxious about being anxious. And that's that self-berating kind of death spiral. So once you say, all right, I'm having a panic attack, shortness of breath, quick, you know, my heartbeat, I feel like I'm having a heart attack, I feel like I'm going to lose it, I feel like there's no way out. You go, I'm having a panic attack, and that's right, it lasts 15 to 25 minutes we can do this. So that's another thing that I do, and I won't go and try to meditate because it will actually make things worse. It just adds another expectation. So another thing help again based on science is to write out what you're going through so not on a computer but pen paper pencil or paper because handwriting goes at the same pace as discerning thought so I will often handwrite and I've done that in and I share this anecdote when I was in Hawaii having a terrible suicidal episode and I managed to have the conversation in my head. I'm like, right, you're in a panic attack. What can you do? Get out of the hotel room. And there was this horrible storm swirling. The shutters were all banging. So I put on clothes. I didn't care what I looked like. Went down to the, you know, math piano bar with all the oldies, you know, sitting around there, you know, drinking really bad Chablis wine. And I sat at the bar and I just ordered a glass of wine and I wrote out my emotions. I just wrote out whatever was going through my head. And it didn't matter what it was. It wasn't even something I could read back to myself. But the process got things slowing down and I could process out what was going on. Um, so there are a couple of the techniques that, that I use. And then once that happens, even in the process of doing it, some thoughts start to solidify and then you can start to see what's going on and then you can start to see that this is all purposeful and important. From all these painful experiences, they're not things that are a waste of time. They're absolutely not and that's something that anxious people often feel. I've wasted X amount of hours, days, months, years of my life lying on the bathroom floor in fetal position and so you can often feel that you're wasting time. It's not a waste of time. It's layers, you know, like layers around a tree trunk, you know, that fortify you. And something always comes from it, always does. That's so strong. And I actually heard you say that um, you've given an example and you're like, yeah, you know, I take two steps forward and one step back and then two steps forward and then one step back. And you, you threw away a comment that was so powerful to me. And you were like, yeah, and I'll probably do that for the rest of my life, but that's what gets me. And I was like, oh, my God, you just – I love how you just accept that. It was so powerful. I literally had to stop and like write it down. But it was like, you have gotten to the point where you've trained your mind that even if you take steps back, right, talking about waste of time, you don't see it like that. And you see it as a process. And the fact that you've accepted that that's how you're going to be your um, throughout your life, I think is 
precisely why you are where you are now because you don't dwell on it you don't um, lick your wounds that you've had to take you know two steps back you just see it as the process so um what where how did you come to that conclusion because so many people especially in the space that i'm in with mindset it's people do well they get excited about their growth and a lot of time i get people that they get, get to super disappointed and then they get completely disheartened and they slip back into the old them but use it as a process. So talk to me about that. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. And in fact, one of the tips that I'm sharing in the next book that I'm writing is called This One Wild and Precious Life. And I shouldn't give too much away, but it's to become a soul nerd. So to soul nerd basically means to go and read about other people who have gone through the same journey. And so throughout history, um, the biggest inventors, creators, artists, world leaders have had mental anguish. And you know, 70% of world leaders during a crisis have bipolar. If you think Winston Churchill, if you think Roosevelt, all these leaders really suffered. But what that brought was an incredible insight that they're able to share with humanity. So I actually found the process of learning about thinkers and contributors who I idolise and respect had the same issues as me. Mm. And I went, okay. This is called life, right? But one of the things I've had to accept is that self-help culture, and it's much the same in the States as it is here in Australia, has kind of convinced us that there's this end point that we've got to work towards of happiness and achievement. And we've just got to do all the hard yards. We've got to read enough self-help books. We've got to do enough kind of positive mind techniques and we'll get there. And that's the wrong end goal. So, particularly contemporary culture, we've kind of told ourselves that it should be smooth sailing and the trajectory should be like this. Mm-hmm. And that's not how life goes. It's like forcing a square peg into a round hole. That is the wrong formula for trying to be successful and trying to have a fulfilling life, you know. So that is something that I've learned. And, in fact, whenever I hear messages um, that are too rah-rah and everything, I tune out because I'm like, oh, no, that's not real. Like, that ain't going to end up in a nice place, you know. And, look, if you go back in history, the the thinkers, the philosophers, what would have been called the the gurus, you know, the wellness gurus back then, they had a much more balanced approach to it all, a much more productive and helpful approach, a much more nourishing approach. Now, again, what's COVID done? It's revealing all all the crap, you know, the wrong messages. We're all starting to go, well, that doesn't apply anymore, you know. So we are looking for more genuine more applicable um sort of approaches and yeah so i i I kind of start from the basis well let's look at what is and then let's look how we can actually make that beautiful you know hence that phrase first we make the beast beautiful and then you can go and do great stuff with your life if you own your own business when an employee leaves your company whether on good terms or bad it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion 
billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about, that maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. God, I love that so much. By looking at other people and looking at people that you admire and seeing the struggles. That, I mean, this is exactly why I do the show. I bring on incredible women like yourself because from the outside woman, like t- I'm telling you, from the outside, people think you've got it all. You're so freaking lucky, right? And like, especially when you were Cosmo, like as a little girl, that would have been a little girl's dream. So everyone is going to put you on this pedestal. And that's amazing. I don't find that powerful. What I find powerful is the struggle you've gone through and how you've come out the other end. So it's like to to tell those stories and for you to be so honest about the suicide attempts that you've had and all of this, it's like it's really showing people right now that are listening or, you know, watching this that you don't have to be there. Right. That was like the whole point of the intro. It's like you don't have to drown. You don't have to sink, you know, and you're a perfect example of that. So I absolutely love that. Um, I do the same with like Edison. I think it didn't take him some like 10,000 tries for like the light bulb or something. And so for me, if I'm trying like 15 times and I fail, I'm like, well, Lisa, you've still got 9,900 and whatever um, chances left. So it, it, it gives you the leeway to not worry about the failure. Um, and then making yourself feel bad that you may have taken those steps back. And one other comforting thing as well that's really worked for me, um, and it comes from Steve Jobs' um, address that he did to Stanford University. And um, he said that, you know, he sort of was talking about his career and how for many years it looked so random and it looked like it wasn't going anywhere because, he, you know, he dropped out of uni and then he sat in on, I think, graphic design or typography. And he said, you know, it's not until you get older and you've been down through through the ringer a few times, you know, um, that you can turn around and you can see all those random dots actually join up and form a picture. When you're younger, it just looks like a whole mayhem of dots. 
But you you get a little bit older and you turn back and you go, right, I get it. I see why I need to do all of those things to get where I am today. And if you're a young person listening, um, take comfort in that. You've got a whole heap of dot hopping to do, you know, ahead of you. And if you're as, as old as I am, um, you know, maybe turn around and have a look at some of those dots and see that they did lead somewhere, you know. And sometimes I say to young people when I go and do presentations, um, I say to them, hey, listen, sometimes the only salve for all of this is just sheer years on the planet. And, you know, that's something that's something that, again, COVID, I think, has got us all thinking about is our mortality and, you know, how many years do we have left on the planet? What matters? How do we want to spend the rest of our lives? And one thing that I'm having to settle into, and, and I'm challenged by it, is, is getting older. I'm 46 and I am single. I live on my own. And all of that has been right in front of me, that ball of mirrors, you know. And uh, there are things as well that I could be getting panicky about. Um, however, it's something that I am trying to really settle into and go, this is a moment for me to tap into wisdom and to, and to start to embody the older woman, you know. And that's not something that we have cultural mores around. We don't have discussions around it. However, I, you know, when I do remember that part of, you know, the stuff that I bang on about is sheer years on the planet and, hey, I'm going to max it now. I have got some wisdom. My dots line up. They've led me to here. So now what am I going to do about it? I'm going to max it. I'm not going to hold a pity party. I'm going to really try to be the person I've become, if that makes sense. Yeah, God, that's so powerful. Um, let's actually, if you don't mind, talking a bit more about the realisation that you know, you're female, you're getting older, you don't have kids, because I think there's a lot of people, especially women, that are feeling that right now. And it didn't even dawn on me, having been married for 19 years, it didn't dawn on me that there would be an element of panic. And I wonder how many people, like, would that um, kind of mislead maybe someone into a relationship that they shouldn't be in because they're so fearful of being alone or they're fearful of the rumours where everyone's saying we're going to be back here in October or whatever. So how how are you navigating that? Like if you don't mind going into a little bit of detail, that would be so powerful. Yeah, it's and it's look, it's something that isn't um, on the agenda. I don't know what it's like for you guys in the States. Um, I suspect it's much the same. But here in Australia, the focus has been on working families, households, et cetera, et cetera, ignoring the fact that sort of I think in the States one in four households are a single person on their own. So you're talking a massive sector of the community who suddenly going into isolation is really isolating. I work from home um, and I live on my own, but I've got this community out there where the cafe owners, I go and have a coffee, I know all the locals, I go out and surf, I know all the old timers on the longboards out the back, you know. Um, I, I, and, and then I've also moved around the world. So I, I for eight years, travelled around the world with one bag of belongings and I would meet people like you and your husband. I would meet all these incredible people that would become part of my stories and my books and it was it was wild. And that's how I found connection and it's a very valid way to be connected to community and humans and to have intimacy. Now, all of a sudden, I'm denied my way of connecting. And I remember at Easter, 
Our Prime Minister said, now, there's only essential travel to the supermarket to get your toilet paper or whatever, but, you know, spend time with your closest loved ones, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fine. It's me and me in my house, you know. And so we haven't been talking about it. So that's made people like myself and many of the people I'm sure watching this feel even more isolated, like we're invisible. Um, denied access to our nieces and nephews, to our friends, children, and to any kind of touch. And I wrote a blog post on this, looking at the science of what goes on um, during a crisis. So during a crisis, we are biologically programmed to go and reach out to other humans, and eye contact and human touch are required to bring down that flight or flight response we talked about before and to bring it down to a level where we can actually um, be smart and do what's required to get through a crisis. Um, and that's a biological response that, you know, has kept humans safe. And so it's actually a really natural response during a crisis to pile on top of each other, you know, to live in crowded houses with all the kids and the grandparents and all this kind of thing. And that actually creates a biological nervous system response that enables us then to process what's going going on. So for people like me where we don't have that, it actually compounds the problem. And that's something that people out there watching just need to bear in mind, like give yourselves a break. You've got the double whammy of being denied the biological processes that you need to process a crisis. Now, going back to the being female, not being able to date, et cetera, et cetera, because part of my nourishment came from, you know, on the rare occasion that somebody my age gets asked out on a date, it would be really exciting. It would sustain my <laughs> excitement factor for a good couple of weeks, you know, create a bit of drama that I could tell my friends about, you know. like. Um, but it is really, really difficult. Now, again, I think there's a sense that, of panic that we're missing out. The precious years of our lives are slipping by. So I think that element, there's a, a bit of panic that can go on, um, especially, if, you know, for women who might be going, I need to get this sorted because I've got to have, I need to have children. I need to sort of tick that box off. You know? And this is something that I think is really important, and I've seen statistics on this pre-COVID but relating to the climate crisis the number of millennials who are saying they don't want to have children because of the fact that they don't want to bring children into the world. And I, I don't want to throw more and more topics in here, but this is stuff that's really real for a lot of people and we don't talk about it, you know. We really don't talk about it. And um, I think that's something that we, we need to sort of start to factor in to, to conversations in the zeitgeist that, you know, all right, well, if there are all these women feeling this way, then then let's validate that emotion, you know, and start to think about ways that if, you know, if there's women and men who are deciding not to have children, because I know that you and your husband have been quite open about the fact that you didn't have children, you know, and um, it's interesting because, you know, there's no sort of polite way of talking about it. Often you've got to justify why you haven't, that kind of thing. And none of these things are right or wrong, but we, we will start to, start to have to have these kinds of different kinds of conversations. And so anyone who's out there on their own, um, single, wondering what the world's going to hold, hold for them going forward, I think the best thing we can do is talk more about it so we can see there's more people in this space. And I have these conversations on social media. I've been doing these Instagram live sort of sessions where literally it's for me, it's a way for me to learn if other people are feeling the same way about things as me. 
You know, I drop a bomb, a conversational bomb into the situation. I start talking about it. And then if all of a sudden people go, oh, my God, I didn't realise I was feeling this way. I mean, this is... This is how we heal. This is how we grow, you know. So to answer your question, and I think I got a bit off track there, what am I doing to deal with that? I'm trying to have a better conversation around it because that's what I can do. I can't go out and have these amazing dates. And let's be honest, I just wasn't having them beforehand. And I think what this circles back to, you know, Lisa, which I think is the most fundamental point from all of this, is that we are facing uncertainty like never before at a time, so the single people are going, I don't know if I'll ever meet anyone. As you say, there might be shutdown after shutdown after shutdown for many years to come, and it's possible, right? But on top of that, we are a demographic, a, a, a generation who are so unresilient because we have technology that has cocooned us. I was saying this the other day to someone. We don't even have to wonder how long our takeaway pizza is going to take because there's a little dot on the app that shows us where it is, where the Deliveroo driver is. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wonder about anything. You know, we've got Google, Siri, and what that's prepared us for is everything except for real life, you know. <laughs> if anybody's looking for an activity, all right, you might be doing gardening, you might be starting up sourdough baking or something, the other thing that is a really purposeful thing to do at the moment is to get really resilient to sitting in the discomfort of uncertainty. That is a really good activity to 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 kind of focus on during COVID nineteen isolation period. Yeah, you just said so many incredible things. Um, I want to address the fact that you're so right, and it's so interesting that I feel like people who are by themselves have been ignored and I don't know and I'm purely projecting it but potentially people who are by themselves right now are feeling like well can I really say how shitty it is to be by myself because all these other people are always talking about the family and how big and difficult it is and I don't have to worry but it is hard on me right so it's kind of like no one's saying anything because they feel like they're gonna seem petty if they do and I love that you're talking about it yeah, and one of the things that I think is a really powerful statement to make, and not that one th- anyone's kind of bucket is worse than anyone else's, like we're not discussing that at all and that's not what we're talking about, but what I will say, and for singles and people living on their own out there, is that it is natural in a crisis to pile on top of each other with all the kids running around, blah, blah, blah. What's not natural is to be sent into isolation to deal with a crisis. In fact, the worst punishment on the planet that we can issue to somebody is to put them in isolation. Want to torture someone? Put them into a room on their own for a long period of time and they go mad. And you're absolutely right. People like me, we feel like we can't voice up because everyone's had to do homeschooling and it's, it's, it's hard but it's not torturous. Right. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to say then, at the beginning when I asked the question, you really did lay out all the things that, um, you know, biologically, like we, as humans, this is exactly how we work and what we go through. And you mentioned touch then. Touch, which I think is so powerful. What are you doing to um, replicate that? Like, is a furry blanket, like, does it still, like... Give you the same chemical, like I literally am like really asking, like what do you do? Look, what I, 
there's no easy answer to that. Um, there's a few things um, that I, yoga and practices that are really mindful and slow and languid probably get me into that space a little bit. Um, so that actually, yoga's been really good for that. Mm. Um, I've been pursuing intimate conversations with people. So I'm having conversations with different people around the world where I'm going a next level of intimacy. And I actually sometimes phrase it um, as, hey, and I say it jokingly, I say, well, given the world's going to end, dot, 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 and I'll just say come out with something that will just like throw the conversation, like leapfrog at 20 steps. And I've actually found some beautiful intimacy for that. Um, I cry a lot. So it takes me into a deep intimacy with myself, you know, and I just allow myself to wail and wail and wail. And that's been really important. Um, and then I've had one or two friends who are in a similar position to me. And we just went, well, look, we don't live together, but we could actually have been housemates. So why don't we treat each other as housemates? And so... I've got a friend and we have dinner together twice a week and we've just gone, I trust you that you've been really careful. And so we actually do hug each other a bit. We allow each other that space. Um, it's breaking rules a little bit, but within the, the confines of sensibility. That, that tip about having intimate conversations is so powerful. Like I actually get it. As you were talking, I was like, yeah, that would make me feel closer to somebody um, emotionally, which would then fill a part of me that I think I would miss if I wasn't able, like if I didn't have my husband, that I would need that intimacy is the perfect word that you said. Yeah, I've been doing it with relative strangers that I meet on Instagram or, like, literally, this is how I'm, you know, doing these things. And I invite anyone listening to this, married or otherwise, who is missing some of that deeper dive type of conversation that can come up in surprising moments, often, unfortunately, induced by alcohol at a party or something like that, to actually initiate it and see where it goes, you know, and... Again, another opportunity, another opportunity that many of us don't have, may never have had were it not for this kind of pause, this interruption that we've been putting. Yeah, but that's so true. Um, one thing I definitely want to make sure that we talk about that really hit me when I heard you say it is like when I look at your life and how much growth and everything that you've done and building, um, you know, the company and the books and like it just it's just incredible and um, I keep going back to you have built such incredible habits and I think that that's such an important part to people changing and growing but I actually heard you say when someone asked you how do you get rid of bad habits and you said I don't you said, I just build new ones that are more powerful. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never heard someone say that before. So talk to me about that. How do you navigate and what are the actual mechanisms in order to create better habits to eliminate your bad? Well, the way I see it is that we are doers, human beings. We are action-orientated. So to stop ourselves from doing something is harder than to try something new. You know, so um, I try to go with my natural tendency and max it. So, um, you know, so say if your bad habit is, I don't know, um, you get up and you tend to go and scroll through social media as soon as you wake up, then instead of going, I, right, I'm not going to do this because it's a bit like, you know, when you see a wet paint, do not touch sign, <laughs> you touch that paint, right? Why diets don't work. 
diets are all about not eating things. And the I Quit Sugar program was the opposite. I used to go, all right, so it's I Quit Sugar, but really what I focus on is everything you can eat in abundance, you know. So some of that thinking came into place when I was developing the I Quit Sugar program. Um, but also just from years of realising that if I go into kind of negative denial, do not thinking, I just get really achy and just negative and I think in terms of everything feels really black and white and grey, whereas if I think in terms of what I can do, for me psychologically it's colourful and possible and doable and, and, look, I am a chaotic operator. You know, people go, oh, my God, how on earth do you run your life? But I do, as you say, I, I have got habits that work for me. So some of the things that I do that do work, they might not work for everyone, but they do tend to because I think they're time proven. Meditation twice a day, except when I'm in a real anxious spiral and then I go and do other things. I exercise in the morning. And that's just what I do. And for me, I get rid of anything that stops me from just getting out the door. And I've set up my life so I live in areas where I can just do that. Or I go to the gym, but I don't um and ah about it. I don't have equipment with Fitbits and all of this kind of thing. I have a bucket where all my running clothes and my exercise gear is placed. I only own two sports bras, two pairs of shorts. That's it. They all sit there. There's no kind of buffle. I just get out the door. So I don't make a big palaver out of doing exercise. It's just what I do. And then I also with my habits, what I do is I allow a certain amount of things. So I have a coffee every day. I have a glass of red wine pretty much every night. Six nights a week, I have a glass of red wine. And people are always shocked by it, thinking that somehow I'm holier than thou. And so there's a whole bunch of things I do that are sort of um, bookends generally to my day in the morning and the evening. That makes, and then, and that allows me to be chaotic the rest of the day. You know, it gives me the freedom. But as you say, it's very much about things that work for me that are healthy, progressive, and actually, and then I just let things go if they're not. I don't stick to something if it's not making my life better and and contributing to a better world. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, but what I, I want to, I guess, um, address though is that if you've recognised, okay, this isn't necessarily good for me. Other people, if they find it hard to get rid of that habit. And I think you were going to say an example, and I'd love to see how your thought process goes. So you've identified, I pick up my phone in the morning, and I realize it puts me in a really bad mood, um, so I know it's a bad habit. So you've identified the bad habit, you know exactly what you do, so how would you think to overcome that instead of going, well, stop picking up your phone? Because like you said, telling yourself stop picking up your phone doesn't work. Correct. Absolutely. So what I would do is if I'm looking for something, like I identify that what I'm trying to do is have something to kind of distract myself or make me feel like my day is starting, right, and that I've got some contact. You know, I'm wanting some validation. I want to sort of, you know, so what I'll do is I know that that's the need, so why don't I find a more cheerful, life-affirming version of it? So And in fact, this is what I do do, is I have a glass of water and then I put on my running shoes and I get out the door. That's just what I do every day. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to do. Sometimes I do stair running in the park, whatever. But just the act of getting out the door into life, you know. So at the moment, you can apply it to the moment where I haven't been able to necessarily do that in the same way. 
although I'm able to get outdoors and I'm able to sort of do a bit of exercise. And um, what I will do is I will get up and I roll out my yoga mat in my study and I turn on music and I just start moving. And when I wake up in the morning, I go, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to put on my sports bra and my knickers. I don't worry about anything else. Do we need to? No one's going to see me. And um, I just start doing it. And it feels like I'm doing life my own way. No one is telling me what to do. And I actually quite like that. Like, as I say, I don't like being told what to do, but I make those choices. So, yeah, they're, the, they're some of the things that I do. Um, so say if I was wanting to sort of reduce the amount of alcohol I was drinking at night, you know. So what I do in this case is I go, let's run the experiment to go back to, I think, the first thing that I started the conversation with. I'll go, let's run the experiment just one night without alcohol. So, I often have a glass of wine with dinner and I drink half of it while I'm making dinner and half of it while I'm eating. And so I just do something else, you know. I'll actually call one of my brothers or something like that and make sure I've got something to look forward to, something that feels like it's a ritual, you know. So I think part one is identify why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want to feel connected. I'm doing it because I'm wanting to feel distracted at a certain point of day of the day. And then you go, all right, well, what would actually feel even better than that? All right, let's start doing that. Let's run the experiment. Let's see if this satisfies that itch. And it's completely fine to have needs and desires and wants at certain, and itches and cravings at certain times of the day. Just find something that gets playful with it. And just the mixing up of it makes you feel good about yourself you then start to get into a creative mindset and then that starts to ripple on into the rest of your life because you're not stuck in rigid, you must not do this, you must do that. Some That self-help books told me I should do this. Sarah Wilson should said I should do that. <laughs> I mean, you loosen it up a little bit and you just become a creative operator. But I think you've almost got to do 95% routine so you set yourself up with those kinds of practices mm-hmm. and the more creative and personalised you can make it, the kind of funner it is. And then you allow for 5% breaking your own rules. And, look, there's no right or wrong way to do these things, but I think there's a fair bit of science that shows a morning routine does work. So um, having good habits in the morning that can stop you from, you know, sitting on social media until 10 o'clock in the morning, that will actually set you up not just to avoid, you know, social media addiction but also for the rest of your day. Um, And there's so much science, and I know you know about this really well, is that um, the decision theory stuff, that the part of the brain that makes decisions also controls the part of the brain that controls anxiety. And so a lot of these people like Barack Obama, uh, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, they eat the same breakfast every day. They wear the same outfit every day. They have the same um, meditation, etc., routine, and that is in the morning so that they don't use up their decision-making muscle, which leaves them anxious and overwhelmed and unable to make more important decisions throughout the rest of the day. So if you can have a morning routine and then allow yourself to have, you know, sort of a bit of a freedom uh, for the rest of the day, that's a great way to operate. That's so amazing. I love that last analogy. It's so true. Um, I've heard you talk about it, but I have to ask you, what is your superpower? Well, it is, in fact, my anxiety, and it's something that I've said a few times before. Um, It is the thing that has led to my creativity. It's led to uh, my ability to think deeply. Um, It's given me an interesting life. 
a life that feels really worthwhile. It's given me perspective. And it is something that I had to I had to make that beast beautiful. I had to understand it, the value of anxiety throughout history. I had to understand it all. And then once I did, it became it became the force that basically steers me to my North Star and to to everything that I've ever done. And yeah, so short answer, my anxiety. Freaking love that. And where can people find you, the books you've written and the book that you're going to have coming out soon? The easiest place is sarahwilson.com, my website, and then um, on my Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, so, yeah, that's the easiest spot. You can download or buy my books um, in the US, wherever you are in the world, buy that. Yeah. Amazing. Guys, 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 I mean, come on. The woman said anxiety was her superpower. If you don't fall in love with her with that answer, I don't know what you will. But seriously, like, that is so strong. That goes back to perspective. You can see anxiety as a crippling disorder. Or like Sarah, you can say, this is my superpower. So guys, please do follow her, read her books, follow her social. She's fantastic. Her tips are so freaking executable. If you really like put time and effort in, you really can achieve what she has and use your anxiety as your superpower. So guys, go follow her. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you're not subscribed and this episode did bring you value, please subscribe down, click that button down there. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Salt.